Hello, Les Raymond here with the Mindful Movement. Whether you are about to enjoy one of Sarah's beautiful meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to remind our community that the best way to support the Mindful Movement is to support the companies that make this happen. Sarah and I are very picky about the companies we choose to work with, and we are grateful to have the relationships we have and to share them with our listeners. You can learn more about our affiliates through our website by clicking on the Favorites tab. We are excited to have recently added Sunlighten as an affiliate. They make state-of-the-art infrared saunas, and their founder, Connie, came on for a recent interview if you would like to listen. Our Sunlighten sauna has been a family favorite for over a decade. Some of our most popular affiliates are the grounding mats from Ultimate Longevity, which we sleep on every night, and the Apollo Neuro, which Sarah is now wearing daily to help manage stress. When you support these brands, you in turn are supporting the mindful movement and helping Sarah and I continue to devote our time to this passion. Whether you check out these companies or not, I just want to say thanks again and reiterate how grateful Sarah and I both are for all of the support over the years. I hope you enjoy the episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond. Thanks for tuning in today for another episode. I am joined today by Nikki Dyer from Coached by Nikki Dyer. Nikki, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be in this space. I love the Mindful Movement community, and I'm happy to be here. It's nice to finally meet you. I've heard a lot about you uh, recently through my wife, Sarah, and I actually had never listened to any of your work. And then just moments ago, I tuned in to your, I guess it's like your trailer video on your YouTube channel, five minute gratitude. Mm -hmm. And it was nice. It was something I really needed in that moment, just rushing in from another appointment. And it was like, perfect. Thank you. You know, it's funny that you say that because Before we got started, I was settling myself and my own nervous system for an interview, something I like to do. And I also opened my channel and listened to the exact same meditation you did. Oh, interesting. Uh Is that a frequent thing you do? Listen to your own work to really get the voice? Because I know when you're writing those things, it's common for people to write what they need to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, I actually find myself re-listening to my own meditations probably more than I listen to other people's because exactly what you said, the reason why I specifically write on every topic I do is because it's something that I feel like I need to hear. And that internal voice and really listening to that and checking in with yourself and finding out what you need to hear, that's something that I try to practice in my own life. So that's always from the place that I write from and I find that when I am needing something, I tend to go back to my own work versus searching for it in YouTube or another meditation app because I feel like I can find what I need a little quicker. So yeah, I actually do listen to my meditations back That's cool. quite often, yeah. There's something to be said about using something that you know is going to work too. Like there's more value in reading a book that's useful twice 
than the risk of reading a new book and you don't know if it's going to be helpful. Yeah, that's really true. And, you know, I just, I find that when I meditate, most of the meditations that I write, people will find out are, they're pretty short. Um, I have some that are longer. I have a few sleep meditations, things like that. And just a couple that are around that 10 minute mark, but five minutes is sort of my sweet spot because I'm a busy mother of two young children. And the time that I have in my own life to really like center and just take a few minutes for myself, they end up being really short minutes. It's it's just a few quick minutes while I'm in bed before anybody else comes and taps me on the shoulder. So um, I find that, you know, something that's really quick and just kind of settles me in, but also gives me a, a type of message that I can carry with me throughout my day is something that I really value. So yeah, that's, that's really what I write and that's what I gravitate toward. That's cool. So I'm really excited to help be a conduit for this process and to welcome you because as this new year is upon us, you are going to be helping with contributions to the mindful movement. So I thank you for that and really excited for um, how this is going to unfold in the future. And also, I don't know that much about you. So I'm looking forward to just uh, learning a little bit more about how you got to what you're doing and letting the audience kind of come along for the ride and get to know you. Um, how long does this go back and what brought you into writing meditations? And I know you've been doing coaching. I know you've studied a lot of the same coaching processes that Sarah has. Um, what brought you to those points? So I have always been a writer at heart. I have kept journals and I've written down my thoughts and my feelings really for as long as I can remember. Um, it wasn't ever something that was like recommended to me by a parent or instilled in me as a young child, um, but I've always really enjoyed the writing process. So, you know, whether it's writing just a quick jolt here or there, or I have, you know, sometimes I'm more consistent than others, but I've always sort of kept track of my thoughts. And it wasn't until I joined the coaching program that I met Sarah through, where I really started to realize, wow, there's so much to say for being vulnerable with what you're going through and having that be relatable to people because we all have stuff. We all have these things that we kind of like to hide just below our surface and the people that know us really well kind of know some of the things, but for the most part, we kind of just keep it to ourselves. So what I really learned is there's so much power in that vulnerability and in saying, this is what I'm going through. Maybe somebody else is going through this too. So it, it was during that coaching program, I was reading a book and I can't even remember which book it was, it was really, but I'm reading a chapter and in the bottom, the few last words in the chapter were, um, you know, some people find guided meditations to be really helpful. And I had never even really like played around in the meditation industry before I started writing them, which is crazy. Um, but at the same time, I feel like it kind of gives me a different perspective to somebody who maybe spent years listening to them and then thought, hey, maybe I should do this too. 
um, I just came in with totally fresh eyes. And when I write, I do write from a place of what's on my heart. Like, what am I going through? What am I struggling with? And the things that I share are almost in real time every week. You know, I release, I write on Mondays and I release on Wednesday. And if the listeners, you know, hear the messages, it's pretty easy to see and to pinpoint kind of what I'm going through in that week. And I just know there's a lot of power in, in someone listening and being able to go, oh, I'm not the only one. I'm yeah. not weird. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm so glad that somebody else is going through this too. We still might be weird. It's just that other people are too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we are weird in our own way. So uh, can I ask you a little bit about the writing process? So you write on Monday. Yeah. Is that just like an extension of the journaling process yeah, so, for you? So a lot of the times, like when I'm, I'm writing or I'm writing my thoughts or I, you know, see something or I'm reading a book or I see, you know, a, a post somewhere online and I'm like, oh, that really like connects to me. That makes me feel good. Or I have a journaling prompt and I write about it. When I sit down and I write on Mondays, I have notebooks. I would like to say it's all in one notebook. It's not. I have kind of notebooks everywhere. And I'll go through and I reread things and I go with a highlighter and I highlight and I highlight and I highlight. And I just kind of throw it all in a pages document on my computer. And it just kind of comes out. I don't even, I don't even know how I'm, how I'm doing it. I don't know if it's the correct, correct way to write a meditation, but every, every time I get in there and I record it and I listen back to it and I'm filled with the sense of that's exactly what I needed to hear every nice. week. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't think there is a correct way. It seems like you've definitely found your way to let the muse work through you. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, um, it comes through. I mean, it it's found, sounds very authentic and very inviting. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to learn to listening to some more. I did notice you say you write meditations for women and I got offended. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, what, where does that come from? Um, so I'm a woman. I I'm see. A woman. I'm a mother. Um, I am a woman who wants to be multiple things in my life. So it's not that my meditations are just for women. And it's funny that you say that because I actually have quite a big male following um that I notice on Google Analytics you know it kind of tells you male right. or female most of them are women but when I look at those numbers I'm always really surprised to see how many are male so I'm trying to get away from more of the like feminine pronouns right like um trying to be a little more like inclusive because you know I think that a lot of men can also relate to what I write and I hear it from men in comments and things they are relating and um but yes that's that's definitely something that I just I feel like it's easier for me to tap into okay I am a, a modern everyday female I am a mother I'm a wife I'm a woman, I'm a businesswoman, what do I need to hear? And that's not to say that messages are only for women, but that's just usually where I kind of like zoom in and tap into. 
Gotcha. I find myself over the years kind of going in phases of what kind of voice I'm connecting with when I'm listening to guides. And then sometimes it's no voice. Sometimes I just need the silence or music or just go outside and like the sound of nature or something. Um, there's a lot of tools. Luckily, we have a lot of tools to, to tap into in the toolkit. Um, you also do a lot of coaching and it seems like you have, uh, even though you use similar tools, Sarah, like you tap into hypnotherapy, um, there's focuses that you seem to connect with more. And I think that's one of the reasons that we're excited to bring you on, on board to help with um, providing coaching services for our audience. Um, you seem to connect with helping couples and like working with relationships. Hmm. What is it about relationships that draws you to want to like help people work through it? Did you go through something yourself or where does that come from? Yeah. So I feel like there's so many people out there, something that I've really realized in my own marriage and in coaching people, couples, is that everybody has this idea that a relationship that is meant to be soulmates, right? It's supposed to be easy. There aren't supposed to be any problems. It's not supposed to be this hard. We should be able to communicate better. We shouldn't fight. We should be able to have more sex. It's, it's this illusion in our heads that we create. And something that I see a lot in my coaching clients that come to me for relationship issues are it comes down to somebody finally saying out loud, I'm, I'm not sure if I made a mistake marrying this person because I feel like it's really hard and I don't know if it's supposed to be this hard. And a piece of advice that I always give to my clients is if you are fighting, if you are communicating, if you are butting up against each other, you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. That's actually the foundation of a really good relationship because it's when you're unable to communicate or to be honest or to just let your guard down and really be who you are and for your partner to be able to do the same. That's when you're, you're just missing the mark. Like it feels maybe good, but it's superficial. It's not, it's not that like deep, meaningful growth connection that ultimately I feel like we're all really longing for in relationship. Right. So, and, and yeah, that's definitely something that I experience in, in my own marriage, my partner and I, we've been married for, we just celebrated our 10 year anniversary this year and yes. we have, thank you. And we've had, you know, ups and downs. We got married at a relatively young age and the two of us individually and together have grown a lot in our relationship and there was a big pivotal turning point in our marriage that I would love to share with you if you're open to hearing it um, it definitely shaped who I am today and my story of we were fighting all the time we had a three-year-old and we were trying to decide if we wanted to have another baby and I felt like if we had another child I was going to be trapped and I was never going to be able to get out if I wanted to get out. And I had this whole story made up in my head of how it was supposed to be. And it wasn't lining up to how it actually was. And I ended up getting pregnant again. And I miscarried. And it was a very, very soul-shaking experience. Because 
what ended up happening was I had an issue medically when I did miscarry and I actually ended up hemorrhaging in our bathroom and he saved my life. And from that moment on our relationship, it changed. It changed so much. It changed the way I looked at him. I felt like I actually could lean on him and I could trust him and it didn't need to be perfect. And it didn't all need to turn out the way that I thought it needed to be in my head. And it was shortly after that experience that I did get into more self-help work. And that led me to listening to podcasts and it led me to coaching, which led me to meditations. And now I get to turn around and I get to look at the women and the couples that are, you know, just a little bit in life behind where we are. And I get to hold their hands and say, it's okay. You guys have this. If you're committed to each other and you want to be together, we can make this work. If you want to put in the work, we can make it work. And it's such a rewarding experience. I feel like it's something that's really missing in, you know, marriage counseling and therapy. We, I have gone down the road of counseling um, with my own husband and I've had counselors tell me, you, sh- you know, you should probably get divorced. doesn't yeah. sound like a healthy relationship. You should probably get divorced. And I was like, what? <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get divorced. I just want it to be better. Isn't there anything I can do to make it better? Um, so that's essentially what I have worked very hard to create in my coaching is I don't, I don't believe that. I think it actually can get better. And that's what I teach all my clients. Wow. Uh, Nikki, thanks for um, sharing that vulnerable story. Uh, I appreciate it and glad to feel comfortable doing so and you know from the wound comes the gift so that's a perfect example of that it's interesting you mentioned if you're fighting like that's a sign that you're doing it right like it's a sign that it matters Mm -hmm. and it's worth there's something there worth fighting for I remember my parents split up when I was little and I remember I'm sure like I resented it Like I resented them, I think, for not fighting more for it, Mm -hmm. like not doing the work. And I don't blame them as an adult. Like I understand they had their own issues and, um, you know, it was toxic relationship for many reasons. But I remember as a child, like wanting them to fight, like fight for it. And, you know, that that is probably missing. I think it's crazy to hear that like a couples therapist or like would encourage people to split up when they're there because they don't want to. Um, it's funny. I actually remember envying my friends whose parents were still together as a mm-hmm. child. Like I would gravitate to other kids whose parents were together and I would like mooch off their, <laughs> their parents in a way. Not that my parents were bad like individually I got so much out of them and you know my mother was extremely loving and uh supportive but I remember like there was definitely something missing and because divorces is are so common now it makes me think like there's so many people out there just the sheer numbers that suffer because of that and how would it change if people had the tools and education and the 
hand-holding and the guidance to find a way to not just make their relationship work, but to also go through whatever growth individually is needed to make that happen, to make them not just better spouses, but better parents and better all the things, like improve all the relationships in their life as they alter the relationship ultimately with their, their self through that process. Yeah, and I definitely, it's my belief, and it always kind of has been that whatever you're being presented with in relationship is something that your soul really wants to work through. And I believe that a good partner also has something that their soul wants to work through. And if you work together, you can heal both sides. But if for some reason somebody, you know, they do want to split up or they want to separate or they want to divorce, I'm not saying that there aren't situations where sometimes that's the best thing. But ultimately, the pattern of what happens is when you go your separate ways, typically you each start your own healing journey where you start introducing different behaviors, you start thinking differently, you start acting differently. And if you don't do that, you tend to repeat the same thing in your next relationship. You're giving, again, another opportunity to heal whatever it is or to change that thing inside of you to better yourself. And I think you can, you have two choices. You can do that work in relationship or you can do that work outside of relationship and then search for somebody, hopefully, who is also at that point. But I don't think it's a lost cause to assume that even if your spouse doesn't believe in therapy or they just don't see the point of it or whatever it is. I, you know, I've worked with just women at first whose husband was like, you know what? Great. I'm glad you want to do that, but I'm not interested. And six months down the road, they're both sitting in front of me on a computer screen. And he's like, I've seen her life get better and mine still feels not great. So now I feel like it's me. What can I do? And that's really the moment that we're, you know, trying to get to when it is couples is if you are willing to change some of your behaviors and look at the other person and know that you don't need to change them because we can never change somebody else's actions or reactions or behaviors, but we can fully change the way that we do it, the way that we soak in somebody else's soul and coming from that place really is what gives you a really good solid foundation in relationships and from there you can really build on that and create all these things together that you initially wanted to from the beginning do you find it common that a couple will come and you know it's clear that there's some issues and one of them wants to grow like sees that they need to grow to improve this, but the other really isn't interested or they don't feel like they need it. And, um, or is it typically both people are coming and say, we need help? No, it's, it's definitely usually one person first. Um, and it's most often from, who comes to me at that point, it is a woman, a female, um, for whatever reason. I don't know why. Um, that's just my experience. Um, so usually it's one person going, it's not good. I don't know what else to do. 
I need to do something. I can't keep living like this. I'm not happy in my own life. There's got to be something I can do, something I can shift, something I can change. And they're right. There is. that. That's the starting point, you know, and in coaching a lot, we talk about awareness being the first step. As soon as you look at something and become aware of it, you can't unsee it. And the same can be said for working and navigating through relationships of, you know, pointing out different ways of communicating or different tools or different things that you can do to alter the way that you're thinking. And usually, yes, it does. It does start with one person. But in my experience, like I said, it's it's not uncommon that at a certain point I have both of them sitting in front of me, right. which is which is kind of cool to see. I remember years ago, Sarah teaching me an idea and we were going through, we went through several like growth phases and really challenging times. And, um, you know, I think we have a, the strongest relationship we've ever had now, which, and I hope it's stronger next year. Um, but I remember she would frame something and I don't know, I don't think it's original. I don't know. I don't know who to give credit for, but she said, your life is like a puzzle piece. And you have all these other people and things like activities or whatever that kind of fit in um, in your piece. But, and then if you grow, if there's not some corresponding parallel growth of like the other people, they don't, they just don't fit the same way. Mm. Um, and I think there's some truth to that. And also there's some truth to what I hear saying more recently, that when you have someone that wants to change a relationship, but they feel powerless because you can't change the other person, the act of changing yourself and how you approach the relationship is going to change that person because it is, it is changing the relation, the nature of the relationship itself. Right. Um, which for me personally, I went through a therapy with a relationship through with a parent uh, not long ago. And I remember feeling like this doesn't matter because, you know, it was my father. He doesn't want to change. Like he doesn't see his role in any of this. Like he doesn't take responsibility. So I felt like there was a sense of, is this worth it? Is it a waste of time? But in turn, from changing just how I approached the relationship, which was really how I approached myself at some level. Um, he did change some, Bec you know, because you can affect a relationship just by starting with yourself, because by definition, as you change, that relationship changes. Um, it was an interesting experience. And now, like, um, we have a much better relationship than we did. And we've both come a long way. But there was a time where I was like, well, he doesn't want to. He doesn't. He feels like it's all me. Like it's all my fault. So how is this ever going to change? But it did. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. Um, and I'm glad you do because to me, relationship coaching doesn't always mean two married people or two people in partnership. A lot of the times people come to me, clients, I'm having issues with my mom. I can't stand my dad. I have issues with my parents. And as somebody who did have a complicated relationship with my own parents for a really long time, 
um, and just really trying to figure out how do I coexist with this? What do I do with this? It feels uncomfortable when I'm in, in space with this, like, what am I going to do? So relationship coaching really does extend far beyond somebody who's just in a marriage or a relationship because relationships are the center of our entire being. Everything that we do that involves another person is a relationship, whether it is parent and child or sister and sister or brother and sister or friend and friend, coworkers. When you start looking at just the single relationship in your life, whatever brings you to me, whether it's, you know, issues with your mom, or like you said, issues with your dad or issues with your partner, by you fixing that one relationship, it is like a domino effect. I have people come to me going, I came to you for this relationship, but literally every relationship in my life is different now. It's changed and it's because they've changed. They're different. They approach every relationship in a different way. And it does change the trajectory of entire relationships for the better. It definitely does. Yeah, it's, it's neat how things will um, like bubble out like that. I work in a gym environment and like people come in and, you know, they think it's like just a fitness thing. And ultimately, like the gym equipment and the movement is this like primary tool we're using for self-development, you know, growth. But in doing so, you're altering your relationship with yourself because you come in and you have all these judgments about yourself and expectations. And I work on um, kind of holding the mirror up the right way for people so that we could dissolve some of those and they could kind of see how they're treating themselves and, um, which makes space for just a more productive practice in the gym. Um, it gets rid of like attachments uh, that interfere with progress and like conflicts that people make up between their left ear and their right ear in the process of trying to get in shape. When you're, you know, they're coming in, they're, they're 50 years old. It's 30 years since they've been like regularly physically active maybe. And like, they remember themselves as something very different and then they get in and they like they don't have the relationship with their body that they once did and it's disturbing yeah but what happens um is within you know several weeks as their relationship with themselves changes you hear that you know a lot of the training is you're just kind of shooting the shit with people about what's going on in their life and they're changing the way they talk to their kids yeah. or they're like just recently with a client where talking about how um you know upset about how their son plays a lot of video games and her altering her relationship with herself made her realize that um you know she was coming off maybe judgmental and not being able to show her love to her son in the way that she wants to know herself to be able to do um so like so like there, whatever we do with our, however we interact with ourselves that creates change is inherently going to affect all the other relationships and relationship with the environment. It'll like change, like, how do I feel about, um, I don't know, dropping a piece of trash in public or whatever, like, or, or animals, like, uh, you know, it could really, it changes the way you view the world. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, there's a little type of like symbolism that I really like someone to think about is if you imagine yourself in a room, it's pitch black, right? There's no light. You can't see anything around you. And I just open the shade just a little tiny bit. And you let your eyes adjust and the light starts to filter in. You're going to be able to make out little bits and things that you weren't able to before. And coaching and, and personal work, it is that light that's coming through. And as your eyes adjust, you know, and I open it a little bit more, we do a little more work. Before you know it, you're going to be looking at a room that you couldn't see. Mm. You, that room, might as well have been empty. It was black. You didn't know the size of it. You didn't know anything that was surrounding you. But starting to have that awareness, twisting the light a little bit at a time, it really changes your entire outlook on your situation, on your environment. So yes, I absolutely agree. And I love to hear that the same examples essentially of, of somebody doing the work like physically, right? Physically, mentally, it's all connected. It's all one being, we are who we are. And there's different ways of really exercising that and working through different things. And yeah, a gym is, it's the same thing. Yeah, that's a really beautiful analogy. The, the dark room, adding a little light and just a little bit, little by little, mm -hmm. creating change all of a sudden seeing a room that you didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. um, mm. Now you do in private sessions, you use the hypnotherapy. Is that like a primary tool you lean on or? You know, hypnotherapy, um, from my experience, there are people who it almost ends up being like the magic pill, right? Oh, hypnotherapy. Well, if it just happens to me, it's easier, right? If I just no, like, it's like you know, taking a pill, it's like taking a pill, right? So for me, the art of hypnotherapy essentially is getting someone comfortable and relaxed enough to the point that I can talk to their subconscious mind and everything that's just below the surface without their walls being up, without the defenses or the natural the natural worry of, oh, did I reveal too much? Was that was that too intimate? Did I say something that I, that she's judging me for now? So ultimately, what it, what hypnotherapy to me does is it just relaxes somebody. It creates that comfort in that environment where they feel safe to really let their guard down and really get to the underbelly of what's going on, what what's wrong, what's working, what's not working, what is it you want to change about yourself? And I love, I love the tool. I love the practice, especially for people who struggle with being in their own body or, you know, really like struggling to meditate, even to drop in, to relax and let go of everything going on around them enough that you can really get to like, what's really going on at the heart of it. So for anybody who really struggles with letting themselves be vulnerable, I feel like it's a really useful tool in coaching. Yes. Have you used it personally for any uh, like specific task for your, like for yourself? Have you ever gone to it? Like, I want to work on this thing and I'm going to use this as a tool. And then. Yeah. So the first time I, 
had a hypnotherapy session done, my mind was blown. I have always been, and well, I shouldn't say have always been, because I'm actually much, much better now to where like, it really doesn't even come up for me now. But before I was always really worried about being vulnerable or like saying too much or saying the wrong thing or worrying, you know, like, how's that gonna like make me seem to this other person? And um, it's interesting, you mentioned you did, you know, therapy and counseling for your relationship with your dad. I have done similar work um, on my own relationship with my parents. And it was hypnotherapy that actually enabled me to, I mean, just cry and cry and cry years of holding it all together and holding it all inside and feeling like I just needed to be like strong or whatever the excuse was that I was really holding myself to, you know, such a high standard. And it was hypnotherapy that allowed me to really connect to my own emotions and my own body and really dig out some of that stuff that's been like sitting in my body I've been carrying around with for years. And I swear, I can tell you every day when I wake up, I feel different <laughs> still. Um, it's like once you get in there and start really clearing some of that past trauma and just the stuff you're like holding on to that's sticking to your insides, like oatmeal, right? <laughs> you start clearing that out and you just, you feel better. And again, it's the same patterning of that carries on into different, different things in your life. You get to carry that with you. So I'm a huge proponent of hypnotherapy especially for anybody who kind of struggles to really allow themselves to like sink in and get that, that stuff that's like really stuck in there out. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned like I was able to cry and cry. It, when you look around the animal kingdom, it's like you don't see other animals that have like to deal with what we do in a way. Like it's a blessing and a curse. Like there's I'm sure value to be able to to be able to hold stuff trauma whatever in the body um but if you don't recognize that you have to clear <laughs> that out sometimes that it's a real problem like other animals they don't cry but you know they might have a stress and they shake it off and then they move on with their life yeah but um and I think it's really common with guys because, you know, just culture or society that makes guys probably feel maybe less manual, manly or whatever to cry. And then they miss out because like you, you don't realize how therapeutic it is. Mm -hmm. And humans seem to be unique in that way that we have this ability, but like you have to be willing to, to do it. You have to go through something. You have to let yourself do it. But um man, it always feels so good after you've done it. Anytime I've had like a really big, powerful emotional release of some sort, the bef the Delta, like the difference between the before and after is so <laughs> profound. And it's yeah. like, well, if somebody was looking from afar or, you know, from outside your body and they saw, okay, so they had some expression on their face and salt water poured out and wet their cheeks. But on the end, and it's like, okay, what's the big deal? And on the inside, it's like night and day, you're a different person. It's, you know, clearing that oatmeal or whatever is a, is a big deal. Yeah, it is. And I love the fact um, that you discuss it from a male perspective. This is actually something that my husband and I discuss a lot is, 
you know, that pressure society of I'm a man, I'm strong, I'm not supposed to feel. And it's like rewiring all this nonsense that like these, these boys and these men have been fed generationally of this is what a boy does. This is what a man does, you know, and really the same can be said for a female. You're always crying. You're too emotional. You're too invested. You're taking everything in. So, you know, it's, it's reprogramming so much of the brain and just really looking at things like line by line being like, is this true? Is this total baloney? Like, does this even apply to me? Does this feel good for me to carry with me? Um, and, you know, tears and crying. I, I think I used to be able to count on like probably two hands, the amount of times that I had cried. And now it's like, it's so much easier for me to, when I'm feeling overwhelmed or when I'm feeling stressed or when I'm upset about something, I can recognize the feeling, you know, the like little, it's like, it's almost like you said, like in so many ways, we do have animal instincts. You get kind of like the little shakes before and your body kind of has like that same reaction. And instead of like swallowing it down or pushing it aside, you know, I take a few minutes and I go cry. And I'll tell you one thing, I feel much better afterward because your body always tells you what it needs. Instinctively, your body knows exactly what it needs to do. It's the mind that's like, you know, angel on one shoulder, devil on the other. Like, you know, it's the mind that's like, no, you don't need to cry. You're fine. But it is so healing and introducing people with hypnotherapy to that side of them. That's probably been dormant for many years or potentially their whole life. It is absolutely life-changing to be able to look at you now and go, yes, I cry and I, I can cry because before it was like, I almost couldn't even do it. It was so programmed in my brain of like, I don't need to cry. I don't cry. I don't cry. And now that I can, I utilize that as a tool in my toolbox to re-regulate my system and my own, my own pressures in life. And it's like, again, clearing out that oatmeal, like, you know, I get it out of there before it sets in and gets too sticky you know I just clear it out myself and having those tools to be able to do that is definitely something that I teach all my clients because I think it's a really important life skill to be able to carry around with you yeah 100% I can't say I've ever like noticed like oh I don't feel good I'm gonna go cry now like plan but I've I've definitely got to done it enough times where when it comes on I quickly recognize that it's supposed to be here and like ride the wave, um, let, you know, go, go with it. Don't fight it. And you mm -hmm. come out and it's like, Hey, your eyes a little red or whatever. Like you just feel like such a relief. And um, it's just, to me, it's like, it's interesting that that is built that process, that tool, is in us and we walk around with but you know you can go through your whole childhood like all your schooling whatever like nobody really it's not something that's like taught <laughs> you know it's not something we learn and um and I don't plan for it. I've had a couple experiences where it's almost been forced upon me it seems through like substances uh like psychoactive ingredients which has been interesting it's like uh, a plant has forced me to get out of the way and stop interfering with this process mm -hmm. and 
makes the process arise and I'm like so grateful after because it's it's almost like the plant knows I'm not I don't want to do this by myself mm -hmm. and it's going to be like don't worry I'm not going to give you a choice here you go you know here's here's your plate start eating and um it's just fascinating because I mean it might be out there but if it is it's not common I haven't seen like when you look out in the animal kingdom you just don't see it you do see like some animals that show expression and maybe sadness or whatever but uh, it's an interesting tool that we come built in with and nobody you can go through your whole life without anybody kind of telling you how to use it yeah it's interesting it's that say that. yeah and um, one of the things that's also really important to me I have a almost seven-year-old and a two-year-old so for me taking all this information and all this knowledge that I've learned that I practice in my own life and just kind of like subtly teaching it to my kids or, you know, doing certain things with them. And my seven-year-old, I hear her in her room, screaming in her pillow, throwing a temper tantrum with the door closed. She's upset about something. And I'm like, okay, that's fine to where, you know, when I was a kid, it, that would have been the thing where one of my parents would have come in and I would have been like reprimanded for acting out right or like expressing angst or like being upset or you know don't cry you know anything like that so really encouraging like those emotions like that's something that is really important to me of look if you feel upset cry like if you feel mad go get the anger like move it up and out of your body like we put on music, we do a dance, we do different things. And there's lots of different modalities that I think you can utilize in teaching this type of stuff to children, obviously learning it firsthand and applying it in your own life. It's, it's the same principle of being able to like take your learnings and improve your marriage or your relationship or relationship with your mom or your dad or your sister. It's then taking that and just teaching your kids from the start a better way that you didn't have. And I love, 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 love being able to have that type of generational impact um, in my little tiny family's life that that I know is going to like carry on into the future and really change like the whole trajectory of their lives, I hope. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Um, touching a little bit more on the hypnotherapy, what are like some of the common things or that somebody might be trying to address that you would recommend looking that looking at hypnotherapy as a tool to work with? Um, there's lots of different things that really it can be useful for. Um, practices that I feel like resonate with me. Like I always like to teach from places where I feel some type of connection or like I see that person's soul in that. It, it just, you know, it just kind of allows you to like connect in a different way. So any insecurities around like weight or physicality or money, um, relationships, feeling stressed, feeling like you need to be busy all the time to be successful or to be productive um, for women, especially mothers, feeling like you have to do it all in order to be a good parent, you know, and social pressures, um, relationships in general, learning to cope with anxiety. I feel like, I feel like there's almost nothing that hypnotherapy probably couldn't solve. Um, I'm not like a smoker or anything. So I've never, 
I've never written from that perspective would be an example of that. You know, I've never helped somebody like through that. Um, and I do really believe that this is one of the things I love about writing meditations is by the time somebody comes to me for a hypnotherapy session or a coaching session or even a coaching, you know, a whole, a whole package of coaching sessions, they know me, they know my voice, they know my teachings, they know what I've already done for them in their life. So it already like lowers that guard and it makes them feel like comfortable and connected with me. So I feel like my message would be to anybody who does resonate with the things I say, and it makes you feel like somebody sees you in that moment, or like somebody gets your experiences that you're going through. If you feel that type of connection in just a meditation, hypnotherapy is going to be even better because it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation where we dig into what's going on. What do you want to change? What don't you like? What do you like? And it essentially becomes like a personalized meditation that you get to listen to over and over and over again. And it just slowly rewires all those subconscious parts of you that are sitting in there untouched otherwise. Yeah, it's a powerful tool. Um, from my own experience, Nikki, um, you mentioned smoking. I, I was an avid drinker, mm -hmm. um, daily drinker for about 23 years. And there was a period of several years where I wanted to quit. And um, I wasn't good at quitting it. <laughs> but somehow I was able to recognize that it, it was a confidence issue. So I went to use hypnotherapy, but I didn't use it to like, um, listen to this to quit drinking. It was like, I had a confidence issue with my ability, like the idea of never drinking again. I, I didn't really believe it was something I was capable of doing. It was like a lack of confidence in myself. Yeah. Like I didn't want, I didn't like drinking anymore. I didn't want to be a drinker, but that wasn't, that wasn't the issue. It was just like my own confidence in myself. So I listened to a, uh, I remember on YouTube, a confidence hypnosis that was like a half hour long. I would say almost, if not every day for about a month. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I haven't, and that was, what's today? Um, that was like seven and a half years ago. Yeah no drink and it was just like once i realized what was actually underlying my inability to stop drinking yeah it became surprisingly easy considering up until that point it was really hard like it was a it was a daily fight in my mind and then it was like oh i'm fighting the wrong fight yeah yeah and then I when i organized like what i was working on it just happened very organically without a lot of like pain and suffering yeah, I, um, I love that story that you just shared. I can relate a lot to it. You know, part of my own journey is, is looking at my coping strategies. Like, okay, so when I'm stressed, I do this. And alcohol is definitely a really common one for a lot of people. When I'm, oh, I can't wait for my nightly glass of wine. I can't wait to pour that glass of wine. And, you know, it's like, I'm at this point now where I'm like almost playful with it in my own life. And, uh, oh gosh, probably a few months ago, 
I did the same thing. I was like, why do I drink? Why am I doing this? Like what in me is making me want to do this? And for me, it was stress and overstimulation, more importantly, of in those moments when I felt like my house was a little loud and my kids were running around and I hadn't really had like any time to myself during that day. And I was like really depleted. I would reach for a glass of wine and recognizing that little piece of it. It was like, again, I just twisted the shades a little bit. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, so maybe instead of doing that, I should go do something else just to try, just to really, again, be playful with it, just to see what happens. And I had, I had a glass of wine the other day and I was like, this doesn't even taste good. I don't even want this. I didn't even drink it. I had like a couple sips and then I was like, okay, I'm good. So once I really like figured out why I was even reaching for that to cope with something, it was like a huge aha moment. And I do love that that's essentially what a hypnotherapy session does break down is again, it gets underneath the layers of why is this happening? Why are you doing this? What behaviors or what patterns are leading you to reach for this or to do this? And once you break down those layers, it's like, once you figure out what the answer is, it's like it all just illuminates, just like you said. So it's it's a great tool. I love it. I, I definitely think that there's a lot to say for utilizing hypnotherapy to get rid of any kind of habits like that where somebody just maybe doesn't want to be that way anymore, doesn't want to do it that way, doesn't want to live that way. All right. Uh, Nikki, it has been um, an absolute pleasure to finally speak with you. And I'm really grateful that you're coming on board and helping out and being, and we're building a team here. And I'm looking forward to um, just watching that unfold and also looking forward to reconnecting with you periodically on the podcast. Um, for the listeners, there's going to be opportunities to uh, work with Nikki through the mindful movement. And um, I, I, th I just think it's a, a great like a new chapter and I'm really excited for it. And I'm also uh, grateful for that you took the time today to, to, um, to share a little bit about yourself. And uh, I really appreciate the vulnerability that you were able to express to, um, to a bunch of strangers for now. They know it's not easy. So thank you for doing that. And I'm glad you feel comfortable doing so. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited for this opportunity to just reach more hearts and connect to people that maybe otherwise wouldn't have found me. Um, I love the mindful movement. I love you and Sarah and what you guys have built. I think it's so inspiring for me and incredible. And, and I just feel very fortunate to get to be a part of this. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, I think all parties involved are, are very lucky and um, looking forward to hearing feedback from the audience too. Um, and I'm sure our paths will cross again soon. And um, so then I, I wish you well. And for the listeners out there, I'm always grateful for your listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I hope everybody has a terrific day.